Apple presents events at the Apple Store. Let's take a look at the trailer for Short Term 12. because it's so unbelievable. It's going to seem fake, but I promise you it's not Graceful Vashborn. It depends if you tell it right. There is no way not to tell this right. It is a storyteller's wet dream. <laughs> Short term 12, this is Grace. Remember, you're not their parent. You're not their therapist. You are here to create a safe environment, and that's it. Got it. Luis, you better be up. So this is how it's going to be. Community meeting is now in session. Slow this down a little bit. Y'all yeah. ain't got no rhythm, man. Mace, I love you like a brother, but I gotta say that when it come to being discreet, you're a disgrace. I mean, he think we all don't know about him and Grace on the low, undercover, trying to date. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Why are you so nice to me? Well, it's easy. You are the weirdest and most beautiful person that I've ever met. So let me in your head once in a while. I'm just gonna go nuts. We have a new member of our community. She's been in and out of group homes with dangerous behavior. I told her father we take good care of her. I take good care of everyone. Happy birthday. I really think we need to talk through some of this stuff tonight. All right, now. I just need to work. Jaden, come on, please just open the door. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> every day with those kids. And last night, that girl sat next to me, and she cried, and she tried to tell me the only way that she knew how. Grace, it's not your job to interpret tears. I've been waiting for three years for you to just once take the advice that you give your kids every five minutes and learn to talk about what's going on inside your head. So let's all lift our glasses to our king and queen. Everything good in my life is because of you. You know we can do this, right? Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome this afternoon's guest moderator, Eric Cohn from IndieWire. And today's guests, Dustin Cretton, Bree Larson, John Gallagher Jr., and Keith Stanfield. Hey, guys. How you doing? Hello. Doing great. Hi. Hi, everyone. So, when you watch a trailer like this, it gives you some idea of the fact that this is a very emotional movie. I saw it and can confirm that that is, in fact, an accurate representation. But one thing I would say is that on paper, you don't necessarily get that same indication. You know, the idea of a bunch of drama taking place in a foster care home is, one, not the easiest pitch, and two, doesn't really tell you that much at all. So what was your way into this story? as a director? Um, m my way into the story was very, very easy because I, I worked at a place like this and I think the tone that we were, that we were uh, going after in making this movie was a tone that was very similar to um, my, my own personal experience working in this environment and also the tone of the, the stories that I heard from 
interviews that I conducted with other people who have worked in places like this, and that, that tone is surprisingly extremely entertaining. Um, the, 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 story, the stories that I heard from, from people are, are always so full of, of humor and, and full of moments that make you want to cry, um, moments that make you really pissed off. But it, and they all the, it kind of bounces back and forth uh, th through all of that. So that that was that was kind of the uh, the the way the way into the movie. But in terms of you know actual research, I mean, wh what you're describing could just as easily have been a documentary. So you know, when you're talking about telling an actual story with specific characters, I mean, tell us a little bit more about your background working in places like this and, and how you drew from that to create these fictional characters. Yeah, I, I, um, my my first job out of college was working at a place like this for for two years, and I I left I left that experience with just a lot of questions and a lot of a lot of things that I had never thought about. What kind of parent am I going to be? What what residue is left on me from my own parents? And and those thoughts um, were were just kind of brewing in my head for four years until I, I tried to organize them and, and fit them into a, a screenplay, which started out as a short and then ended up as a feature. Um, and yeah, you know, I mean, every character, there's a piece of myself in every character in the movie, the kids and the adults and the things that they're, they're dealing with are, are thoughts and, and emotions that, I'm, that are really close to me. So that's, I guess that's sort of... Keith, we're going to get to you in a moment, but for Bree and John, your characters are really interesting in the film because you've gone through this program, you've, you've lived in one of these homes before as troubled teens, and now you've sort of, your, your characters have changed their lives and have started helping others. Um, so it's one thing to understand from a director's point of view how a place like this would work, how the characters would exist in that environment. But one of the things that's really con you know, remarkable about the movie is how convincing it is, that it really does seem like you guys live in that environment. So was there a, an element of research on, on your own parts in terms of how you approached who these people were? Uh, yeah, um, w we were very fortunate in that um, it was uh, arranged by, um, by the producers of the film that, that Bree and I got to go. Um, on different days and shadowed different line staffers at a facility much like the one um, that's portrayed in the film. And um, uh, I, I spent about six or seven hours following um, a guy uh, that does this for a living and has done it for a really long time. And um, it was really remarkably uh, informative to be able to just get a chance to see him and how kind of casual it, it all is. Um, it's it's remarkable work that they're doing, but you wouldn't know it watching him. It was like it's in his DNA. He's just been doing it for a really long time, and yeah, one of the things that he told me was that um, that really stuck stuck with me was he he was really good at making the kids laugh, and he seemed to be kind of a like a favorite whenever there was a question that needed to be asked or permission to go play this game or go do this from one of the kids. They all wanted to come up to him, and um, it it felt like. He was this kind of perfect, he was a disciplinarian, because I saw him definitely lay down the law plenty of times that day, but I also saw him kind of deflect a lot 
and um, that was something that I brought into the character of Mason um, that was already there in the script, is that he's such a natural caretaker, and um, he just is really good at kind of gaining the trust by, by humor and, you know, kind of disarming in that way, um, but will lay, lay down the law if, if, if it needs to happen. And he just told me to keep it light. He was like, keep it light, keep these kids on a schedule, but you, you can't imagine the darkness that's going on inside their heads at any given moment, so just try and keep it light, one of the most important things. And I think that's something that lends to the, the realistic tone of the film that you were talking about. Brie, what, what was your way into the, this character? Did you go through a similar research process talking to people like that? Yeah, it was a similar thing, except I, I followed a woman um, who had been in the field for, I, I want to say, 23 years. Um, if not, it's longer than that. And it was incredibly informative, not just for this character that I was playing, but it's something that I've really, really struck me as um, a huge life lesson that I've continued and want to continue incorporating in my life, which is letting go. Uh, she, you, the second you walk on the floor with these kids, you, you realize that you're kind of navigating through treacherous waters and you're trying to veer them in a, in a direction while being firm and loving at the same time and you're playing many different roles for them that they have never experienced and don't know how to accept. Um, and so I, I felt a wave of kind of vulnerability. You feel almost like you're going to get eaten alive at first because these kids are in a lot of ways smarter than me. <laughs> and and so I, I very quickly said, how do you do this? I mean, I feel exhausted already. What makes you do this not just for a day and then you come back the next day and then the next week and then the next year and then you do it for your, most of your life? What is it? And, and she said that you do the best you can. You, you fight and you're there for those kids and then you go home and you have to save something for yourself. And if you don't, then, then you crack. And that's kind of, in a way, what you start to see in the film is, is someone who, who isn't able to get back in touch with herself, and so she keeps putting it back into the kids, and then it's just this reflection of all of the things that she isn't comfortable dealing with. So that became part of the process of the film, of really becoming so committed and interested in those 12 hours every day where we were shooting, and I'm was getting myself in this headspace of this slow unravel and then throwing myself into a situation where I was trying to finagle their situation along with my own internal world. And then when I personally, Brie, would go home, I wouldn't think about it anymore, you know? I wanted to sometimes. It was about 10 days into shooting where when I just screwed this whole thing up and I wanted to. But then remembering that woman's strength and... Um, and it really helped me to keep a good head on my shoulders. And, and the other stuff, I mean, I think that the, the, some of the most interesting and rich parts and the things that I'm so still, I find mysterious and interesting about Grace is, is her internal world. And you get the rare opportunity in film, I got to play somebody who's trying to piece something together and solve something that's unsolvable, but I got to create what that was, and I feel still excited that I know what that is, and it's something f different for other people when they watch it, and, and I love that. I, every time I've played a character, I've always been interested in what their secret is and what it is that they're trying to get out of every scene, but it's never something that 
is said or is put expositionally. And um, I got to explore that much deeper with this. Right, you do all this work behind the scenes, and then you don't have to explain that to people when they see the character that just sort of registers in these small mm-hmm. conversations. And but this was part of it. I mean, that ended up with this film being like, I felt like a, a big piece of the pie for her is the fact that the audience, or in the audiences, the kids as well, are starting to clock that something is happening, but not really sure what that something is. Keith, for you, your way into this project was very different, as as I understand it, than from what these guys went through. So can you sketch out a little bit of that history of how you found out about it? One day I checked my email, and I had an email from Destin. He was like, yo, we're doing a movie. And I was like, hell yeah, I'm down. So came down. And, no, no, we did a short version of it first. And the short film was successful, won and done Sundance, and then... Like five years later, he just emailed me like, we're doing a full-length version and we'd like you to come audition for it. So I came down there, danced a little bit, said fuck a little bit, and he was like, we want you. And I was like, I want you. And it's been love ever since. His, his, his uh, audition was actually um, the most sincere, authentic portrayal of that character and we, that we had seen. And... and that email that he saw was actually, he responded to me three weeks late. I, I've been, I think, I think by the time he saw it, there was, there was five emails stacked up because I was like, please answer, because we were, we were auditioning other people for the part and, and just hoping that he could come in. But <clears throat> finally, he came, he, when he responded and came in and auditioned, I was in tears by the, by the end of his audition in my living room. So it wasn't, it wasn't so much just him dancing around and saying cuss words. <laughs> There's certainly, it's another case where there's more going on under the surface than maybe we could see. Uh, but w- w- one thing I think it's important to point out is that your character is different from these guys in the sense that they have some different, uh, some distance from the more traumatic experiences in their life while you're really in the thick of it. So how did you sort of familiarize yourself with somebody who's just, you know, clearly a brilliant mind, which is sort of the, the paradox of the movie and at the same time really held back all these other environmental factors um well i think the fact that he's so young and immature um sort of makes it difficult to develop and deal with his emotions in in the way that the uh, older staff members can and also they've been through training and different things like that he's basically just a raw kid off the street with no with no guidance um the only two people he looked up to for guidance sent him sent him deeper into the you know the whole of never-ending horseshit, basically. So, um, growing up with that environment made it made it difficult for him to uh, move forward. But actually, he's very similar to to the other characters because they're all trying to overcome an internal struggle and trying to evolve and get to the next plateau um, in, in in various ways. So, they actually have a a weird kind of spiritual link because they're all going through the same journey you know it's just by different routes and um in different times and space destin as a screenwriter what's the specific kind of challenge in terms of writing these characters i mean they're so different in in terms of not only their age groups but also 
the kinds of hang-ups that they have. Each individual person seems to have a different kind of problem with a relative at home who did something to them or anger management issues, things along those lines. It's like they fall into different categories. So you said that you kind of relate to all of them on a certain level, but you can't be all those people. So where do you go when you're getting into their head spaces? I mean, uh, most of the characters in this movie and the and the small storylines that are scattered throughout the film are are taken and inspired by real things that have happened or stories that I heard through these interviews and and or their com- characters are combinations of of a couple of real real kids that either I worked at worked with or or had um heard heard stories about and so and at the beginning of the writing process, I had just collected all these stories that had emotionally impacted me, or and and it was a lot of it was just puzzle piecing together and and finding common threads as to how how they could all work together um, to ultimately affect Grace. I mean, every every scene in the movie and every character in the movie their own struggles and uh, there there are they do have their own struggles and their own storylines that are happening but more importantly every scene is doing something to to grace and either it's either um making her feel like she can do this or making her feel like she can't and and so that that was kind of the the through line for everything it's a lot of pressure to take on is from the outset uh you talked a little bit about how you found uh, sort of the inspiration for this character, but th- there's another dimension to this movie which we haven't discussed yet, which is that it's also kind of a love story. So when you take that out of the context of what this movie's about, you know, how do, how do you think through the sort of challenges of being in the kind of relationship depicted in this movie, you know, without actually being in that relationship, if you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I think... Yeah, when you're depicting a relationship of, I, I think we had discussed, I mean, at least a couple years, four years or something, that these, that Grace and Mason have been together. It has a certain lived-in feeling that is hard to get if you don't, if, you know, you meet someone a couple of days before you start shooting. Um, it, there's the easy part, which is that I think I had been in a long-term relationship John, you've been in a, you've been in a long term relationship. Definitely, a yep. couple. Okay, and so you kind of have an idea of what that that feels like, and then um, the the two of us went to dinner a couple days before we started shooting, and Dustin did a very sneaky thing and put an envelope on on John's doorstep that had um, conversation starters. It was very sweet. And so we went to dinner and instead of there being any sort of awkward pause or this sort of like, so we've got to know each other, uh, it was filled with with talking and all towards this building, this relationship. Um, There were questions about what our hopes and fears were for being parents to uh, certain things that had happened to us as children, um, what, do we think that Grace and Mason's first date was like? We even started calculating our income and figuring out, you know, at what point would it have made sense for us to move in together financially? It was probably the reason why before anything else. And um, 
and 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 you know how much spare time we had and what we did at the spare time and uh, by the time you know two hour dinner was over we had created an entire mythology and also learned how to communicate so it we had this back sort of um, back catalog of of information that we both had agreed upon and kind of knew about and and then I mean if you want to get into kind of the bigger thing of it. it I think that Grace and, and most of these characters, if not all of them, which I think is just the human condition, is the feeling of, of feeling unworthy for love and questioning at times whether you are allowed to be happy and whether that uh, y the rug is going to get pulled out. And um, whether you've actually had the rug pulled out or not, it, it creates another dimension to it. But uh, Grace in particular, I think, has a hard time accepting and connecting that she's a lovable person and is actively kind of trying to backpedal and put more walls up so that that's harder and harder for him to do and he's constantly like taking those little that goes down and trying to show that there is like a beauty inside of her that she's not worthy of uh, that she's not ready to sort of go towards and recognize um which i of course can I can, of course, relate to. Sure. Uh, Keith, did you get an envelope with some starter <laughs> questions? <laughs> For Liza Green? I got a rap sent to me. Um, <laughs> he wrote an original rap. Oh, dang, they haven't even seen it. Uh, yeah, there's no rap. <laughs> yeah, we've, yeah, it's uh, hard to talk. I forgot you haven't yeah. seen the movie. <laughs> we, we may <laughs> no. ask for it. Nothing's, nothing's happened in the movie. Yeah. It's not, it's, yeah. It's just um, but no, um, I didn't really have much to work on but a beautifully written script like he wrote so awesomely that there wasn't much you know there wasn't really much I had to do the character was pretty much laid out you know right there for me because he's such an awesome writer so that's yeah that's that this is a very sentimental conversation it's kind of like the movie it gives you a good indication we're going to take a look at a clip in just a second but Let's have you explain this device. It sounds to me like if this filmmaking thing didn't work out, you could start a dating service. But, uh, I mean, it, you're very clearly motivated by the precision of, the, of creating characters. So why was it so important for you that these people had to basically go on a date and create these characters before they could play them for you? I mean, for me, it, I, it was... I hoped that it was going to work. I don't. I didn't know. I, um, and uh, it was. It was more something out of necessity because we didn't have a lot of time for rehearsal and things. And and uh, so with the the day and a half that we had with everybody, I sent them on that date, hoping that that those those questions would just get them thinking about the themes that are that are in the movie. Um, and and then we did the same thing when we got everybody together, which was just for four hours. We had all the kids and the staff members together, and rather than trying to rehearse through scenes, we just tried to build relationships. So then, so so by the time we got on set, everybody was just comfortable with each other, and I th I think that was the most important thing for me, because um, that's a very hard thing to to create as a director, it's really hard to just manipulate things to create uh, what seems to be a, a bubbling family environment. And so 
thank goodness that everyone really got along and they were and they were game for like just playing playing games together and being silly and cracking jokes and and that and building real relationships that then made it onto the screens which is so I'm, I'm just very feel very lucky about that but i i mean to add to it and to give you credit is that you also have to pick the right players and that i think started with it even before is like we were all you have um i think great people find other like-minded great interesting people and so we were all game and open and nobody was like creepy or annoying and so we were all really excited and stoked to hang out i love these people i'm so excited that we get to spend even just this time now together it's great john started laughing like oh he thought he was the creepy annoying one <laughs> i was like i had a different experience no no it, it's it's absolutely true it, it really felt from day one that everybody was on the same page it really felt like we had all read this script it and and it had resonated in a way where we recognized almost immediately um what Destin had laid out, what like what the, you know, the way to approach it, it felt like everybody had the same idea. And I think it's like actually a breakthrough moment in everyone's lives in different ways. Like it's a lot of firsts for everyone, you know. So we were all going through a developmental journey in one sense or another. So we just held each other's hand through it, you know. And that's what we got to do as people. Oh, I'm out to preach, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> well, no, we'll, we'll save it for the big finale. Uh, we have an uncensored clip. Do you want to set up what's going on here just very briefly? Yeah, th this clip um, r represents, I think, fairly accurately how I felt on my first day uh, working at a place like this. And that's it. All right, let's take a look. Okay, okay, everyone, one at a time, please. Luis, thank you for raising your hand. Who's the weird guy over there? <laughs> oh, that is Nate. Please do not be jerks to him. It is his first day. Do you want to introduce yourself? Um, sure. Great. Yeah, hey, uh, as you know, my name's Nate, and uh, I just, I took a year off of school because, you know, I just wanted to get some life experience. And I always wanted to work with underprivileged kids. Hey, what the fuck is that supposed to mean? Marcus, settle down. No, I want to know what you mean by that, underprivileged. It's not what I meant. Then think about your fucking words before you speak. Hey. Newbie. That's a level drop. Go to your room. Go to your room. And stuff. So we got a little sampling of all of you guys there to varying degrees. Uh, tell us a little bit about getting angry on camera like that. The two of you especially. The fuck is that supposed to mean? <laughs> um, exactly. Yeah, I, to me it has to come from a real place. If it doesn't, if it doesn't feel real, doesn't feel right, it's hard to... You, for me, I can't do it if it doesn't feel right. And we've all felt angry and mad at some point. For some reason, we've all felt neglect. We've all felt that struggle on one level or another. So, I mean, I don't know. I think it's just uh, you have to 
getting to that place where you're actually feeling whatever you're supposed to be feeling. It's like feel how you really feel at this particular time in this particular space. And that's, that's what we try to do. Do you feel similar, Bree? I mean, you're also in this movie called The Spectacular Now that's coming out later this summer, which is a very different kind of experience, a kind of teen experience, experience, which is, you know, kind of a slightly earlier on this timetable. But in terms of, you know, showing rage on camera, do you have sort of like a, a certain number of pointers that you go through, and, you know, so that you can do multiple takes? Or mm, No, I, I think maybe many years ago, or I don't know, maybe even the movie before I did Short Term 12, I think I had a really hard time differentiating between fiction and reality. And so in order for me to get to a certain place of upset, I would, I was pretty good at torturing myself, really good at bringing up past things and knowing what those triggers were for myself. And I thought in some sort of sick way that I was like giving myself therapy um, and trying to fix or rework out something in my head through this other alternate reality. And perhaps if I was able to have that release, uh, it would make me feel better, but it really doesn't. It feels awful. And um, like I was saying about the letting go thing, it became really important for me that, that I can honestly say when I look on the screen, and I think that's why I can actually watch this movie, is I'm not watching myself upset about anything else other than I felt like I was Grace in the scenes doing it. The times when I, you see it in the trailer, when you see me getting really, you know, into something... I would felt like I was fighting for those kids and therefore I was fighting for myself. I was fighting for rights and survival and um, and that felt real and honest to me. And somehow, and I don't know if it's just having unlimited amounts of cups of coffee nearby, but um, you get in a certain zone and, and you can go for a while. You can't do it the same every time, um, but you go into that way that's part of being an artist in, in any field is you release yourself just like keith is saying you release yourself to the process and you say um you know today at this tuesday at two o'clock this is what i'm able to give this is how i'm feeling and this is what's honest and therefore it's right i mean that's the most right that i can think of right now um but if we shot this on a thursday at five o'clock with X, Y, and Z scenes before it, and X, Y, and Z scenes after it, and um, it could be different. Right. right. But it, it's, it is what it is. I mean, it's, it'd be interesting. It's interesting to me to think what would the movie be if it was shot in a different order, but I love it the way it is. Right. <laughs> so we're going to go to questions in just a second, but very quickly, this movie showed up at the South by Southwest Film Festival kind of out of left field and went on to win the grand jury prize, get distribution and so forth, critically acclaimed, all that stuff. What did that do to your headspace? I mean, are you ready to go Hollywood? You know, are you have you totally sold out, or are you st do you still want to be a, a pure? I'm setting you up here. I but love it. What's it like to go through that experience? Not a lot of people have that sort of opportunity to kind of just arrive out of nowhere like that. <laughs> Completely out of nowhere. <laughs> I <clears throat> I I also feel very lucky for the this this group. And, and my other friends who helped make this movie because I, think, I don't think any of us are, would, would ever let anything get to our heads, which is, and, and I, I'm thankful for a community that encourages that 
and and um, and would probably kick me in the nuts if I did start letting things get to my head. So I'm extreme Speak for yourself because I'm going Hollywood. <laughs> Where's the jet at? I want a carpet laid out before we leave this motherfucker. No, no, he's right. We're all real humble human beings, you know. I, I think I think we're all just extremely thankful. We're I I am so happy that people are connecting with the movie and um and a, a movie that's so so personal to me and a story that means so much to me. It 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 feels. I, it just feels wonderful that people are connecting with it, and regardless of what happens from here on out, I'm, I'm a very happy, very happy, fulfilled person. I think. And just to clarify, you didn't come completely out of nowhere. You made one other movie called I Am Not a Hipster that played at Sundance and is available. People should check it out. I hear it's really good. Um, we have time for some questions. Anybody who asks a question also gets a free copy of the soundtrack to Short Term Twelve, which is apparently really great. So that's an added incentive. So just uh, that's where the rap is. Um, for you, Bree, you know you've got three films now coming out, with also Don John, and uh, you know there's a long process where these independent films take to get done and there. And is it weird to just suddenly see yourself out there in three different movies all at the same time? I mean, separate from the your red carpet and your jets and all that. Uh, to, to see these things and then to finally see them completed and how do you feel when you get to see yourself? And that's Don John's Addiction, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's directorial debut. Oh, no, it's just called Don John now. We oh, okay. Addiction is cut, it's long John, gone. It's old Joseph news. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, whatever. Um, Ignore me. Um, oh, I don't know. I mean, I, f I don't... I feel like I cry in the bathroom a lot right now because I'm really relieved because I feel like I've been doing this for a long time and you just you just don't always get the signs or the pat on the back that you, you want, and it's just how it is. I even went to film school, and I thought I wrote a really great paper on the hours, and I got a D next to the person who got an A-plus for their paper on a walk to remember, <laughs> and I just felt a little bit of injustice there that I still think I'm working through. <laughs> um, I don't, I, I don't really know. I feel like that's something that I've been asked multiple times or many times, and I, I don't think that I'm far enough or through all of this yet for me to have any sort of perspective on it other than I feel really grateful and really excited and happy, and I, I look forward to whatever comes next. It's allowed me um, a little bit more wiggle room to choose what I want to do next which is so incredibly important to me um, and so I just I, I just feel excited about the scripts and the opportunities that somehow come about when all of a sudden somebody comes on the map then people are like oh I have this thing that it takes the right person and the right people sometimes to, to bring a project to the surface again um, so that I mean that's that's it I don't I don't really I'm getting all itchy and nervous talking about this stuff. Uh, I don't Google myself or read. I haven't read anything. I read run one thing, actually, because three people emailed it to me, the variety thing, which I, I didn't, I shouldn't have read it. <laughs> but I learned my lesson that I read one thing, and I was like, this isn't, it just doesn't work for me. I'm better in my ignorance. I'm better, you know, I'll just eat cheeseburgers and go to the next Q&A and just kind of keep it at that level for now. 
I, I remember on the first day when, when we came together before we even started shooting um, anything and, and we all got to meet and everyone was there, um, all the kids and, um, and the other uh, people that play line staffers. And we just got to talk and share experiences and you know, you know, play some games with each other and do some imp improvising. And, and we got to learn a lot about um, what the dynamic would actually be at a facility like this. Even before we started filming, I remember that day thinking, this is already, I can tell, this is a really incredible, special group of people that are clearly very fearlessly already committed and the cameras aren't even rolling. Um, everybody was just there to kind of learn and soak things up. And then I remember at the end of the day, we were at this house. We, we, we did this all at this house that the producers were, were renting. And I had watched a couple people come in the front door and the door like would get stuck. It had like a little trick to it. You had to kind of like push it in and then lift up the handle and then pull it out. And I had clocked that early on. I'd seen people doing that. And then I remember uh, Bria and I stayed to talk a little while longer with the producers and everybody. And we went to leave at the same time. And, and Bria got stuck on the door and couldn't do it. And I was like, hey, let's check this out. Goes like this. And I opened the door. And, and it was just one of those moments all the producers like laughed. And they were like, it's Grayson Mason. you know. And, um, and it was just one of those moments where it was like the... the, the, the you could just kind of start to feel there's like, I mean, not that I'm saying like, because I know how to open a door, it was like gonna be a magical experience, but, but just that's one example of all these things that were happening on this day that started to feel kind of like, I think we're all here for, for a reason, uh, and this is gonna be special, and it was. Where was your location? Uh, what city or state? Um, it was in, in uh, California, outside of LA. And how big was the crew? It was fairly small. I don't like more than would fit in like an RV, but less than what would fit on like a celebrity tour bus. Sounds pretty good. Very <laughs> good analysis. <laughs> description. Okay, so you spend all this time. This is more for Destin, but I guess it's uh, for all of you. You spend all this time writing, directing it, like engulfing yourself in this project and then it's done <laughs> what happens now like what do you feel you guys this is the like the most awesome part about it is just like everyone like connecting with it and like i had an old lady come up to me she was like a million and she was like i love the rap scene i was just like oh shit like this is so cool like yeah, man, it just brings us all together in different ways, and, and we realize that there are certain things like struggle that we all experience, and, like, it doesn't matter where you come from. Like, that's, that's what I like about it the most. Like, the people love the people. I agree. I agree. Hello, John. Hey, how are you? Good to see you again. Um, now that you're having a very successful career in film and television, I was wondering whether you uh, had any long-range plans to do stage work again, and being a trained stage actor and giving such fine performances on the stage, how do you balance television and film compared to the stage, and which is your favorite? Um, I don't have a particular favorite. I mean, there's nothing like doing a play. There's nothing like being on stage. Theater is just, it's, it's kind of a transcendent experience, being able to go out on stage eight times a week. Um, and do a play and, and commune, commune with people and have a, an, a live audience. There's, there's nothing like it. But um, uh, it's been a great experience the last couple of years being able to do more film and television. Um, uh, this is probably the best time I've ever had on a set uh, and being on camera. 
this was hands down the best experience that I've been blessed with thus far doing it. But um, yeah, it's 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 weird. You have to start you have to start looking at your year in a different way and start making sure that you're picking the right things and that you're doing things at the right time. And um, doing a TV series takes about six months out of your year where you're booked solid and you can't do other things. Um, so I don't know when I'll do another play, but I, I can't wait. Um, I really am anxious to get back on stage someday. I'll do the short-term 12 musical. <laughs> We've been writing it. We're working on it. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. <laughs> Just listening to you guys, I want to just find out how did you get into this career? Like everyone has a mentor or somebody in your life that maybe influenced you to become an actor and you guys are all so eloquent. Um, I just was curious kind of a little bit about who was your mentor that got you into acting or maybe writing um, got you into this field. Yeah, just go down the line very quickly. Yeah, you guys go. I don't, I don't really know. Um, I told my mother when I was six years old that I knew what my dharma was and I was supposed to be an actor, which was extremely confusing because my parents were chiropractors in Sacramento. Um, and my mother's very creative, but um, she wanted to be a dancer and her parents said, no, you have to go to medical school. And, and so she was very, um, very helpful and pushed me towards any creative venture that I wanted. And... Um, I don't know, it's just been that, that thing that I feel like I've been supposed to do for the whole time. And along the way, I've, I've been lucky enough to work with uh, the, the biggest turning point for me, if you want to talk about like the actual word mentor, was Tony Collette. I was, um, like my first like real job was uh, I got to play her daughter for three seasons on a TV show on Showtime. And um, my first scene with her, my first day, uh, we had a scene together and it was a really intense hard scene and and it just went so well and she was so complimentary and um it was the first time that i felt like i had been sort of accepted into a community and it was the first time i started to really feel comfortable identifying myself with that profession and um and yeah that's that's kind of what i got um for me it was um like i thought that telling stories on screen was cool, and it was something that I wanted to do one day. I wanted to be a Ghostbuster be from watching Ghostbusters at an early age, and I, I, when my mom told me that that wasn't an actual occupation, and then I started noticing the Ghostbusters in other movies, uh, you know, I watched Scrooge, and I was like, what's Dr. Venkman doing, uh, playing this like millionaire mogul? And then I found out that they were all actors, and I said, oh, okay, well, I guess I'll do that. Uh, this question's for Destin. Just wondering, you said you uh, had this position for two years after you graduated school and everything. Like, did you always want to be a filmmaker, or at what point did you decide to turn this into a story to tell all? Great question. When, while I was working there, I, I wasn't thinking that any of this could, could or should be turned into a film. I, I was really just in survival mode and trying to make it through every day, and it would... It wasn't until a few years later that it had settled enough into my in in my brain, and I was able to organize it into something. I um, I actually didn't. I mean, this kind of is a combination with your question. I I didn't have a mentor early on. Um, I I actually had a lot of uh, a lot of people telling me no, telling me like that. 
I actually had, had a, a screenwriting teacher once tell me, ask me if I had other aspirations in life after he read the first thing that I had written. Um, and, and a lot of it was, um, I'm, I'm, I think a lot of those no's pushed me to a place where I, it, it forced me to, to, to ask myself why I really wanted to do this. And it had nothing to do with an occupation. It had nothing to do with trying to make money off of it. It had nothing to do with any kind of success like this. It was it was the the process of making films was something that I was just in love with and I wanted to continue doing it and I would happily do it for the rest of my life and lose money on everything that I make. Um, and so that's what I was doing for for the first uh, 10 years um, of of ma making movies was just working some kind of job, saving up my money and doing a shor short film every summer or doing a documentary or an anything that would allow me to, to enjoy this process with other people that I love working with, so. Yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, hi, I'm Steph and um, I was wondering, uh, the film industry is pretty tough, uh, make uh, ends meet and uh, and you know try to make a living and I was wondering, do you all work full time, or do you have a side job? Uh, um, how how do you cope with that? I I've always had a side job, and right for the past five years, I've I'm a I've been a teaching artist at a high school, and so I I still do that. And it's their film and video video uh, section, so I I. I I'm basically the the nice uncle that gets to come into class and help them with their with their projects and when they they have like behavioral problems I don't have to deal with them. Yeah, you're right, man. It's very very hard and it's best to just be rich before you try to pursue acting. Um I just I work in a medical marijuana facility. So that's what I, do. I, I it's pretty cool cuz I can come and leave whenever I want. Um so I'm just lucky. I guess that, but yeah, you're definitely gonna need some kind of support or something out here starving. I started, I, I, I had my first professional job when, uh, as an actor when I was 15, and um, and I, I luckily, uh, every time the money's about to run out uh, in the past for me, I've always gotten like an off-Broadway play, and I'm like, okay, great, $200 a week. Awesome, I really need that right now. And uh, so I've been really, really fortunate in that I've only had to cater a few times and it was a total nightmare and I was awful. And I started at the bar and then I couldn't even open a bottle of seltzer, it sprayed, it was like a comedy of errors, the seltzer sprayed everywhere and, and uh, then I broke a glass and then I, I drank a bunch of free wine that they gave me and then I, I was drunk and I tried to clean it up and I cut my hand and so I, I there's like, I've, I really believe that there's little else that I'm capable <laughs> of doing. Uh, very quickly before we wrap up here, the movie opens in late August, which is still sort of a ways away, but I was wondering if we might be able to give the audience here and the people listening to the podcast a little sample of something that is one of the major selling points. Keith, you keep sort of alluding to this rap scene. So you're very proud of the rap scene, which is also on the soundtrack. Is there any chance you could give us a little sample just to close us out? You said a sample? Just a little bit, or the whole thing. <laughs> Up to you. you might need a beat from Mason. You might need a beat from Mason. All right, let's do it. All right. Cool. 
It don't matter now. Damn near 18, all the pictures in my head is fucking faded. I'm always wishing for something amazing, but when your life is shit, then it ain't no trading. So put me on your books so you know what it's like to live a life not knowing what a normal life's like. Put a label on my head so you know what it's like to live a life not knowing what a normal life's like. Put me in the sky. Wait, what is it? <laughs> put me in the so you know what it's like. Thanks so much, everybody. Perfect note to end on.